Today's reading will be taken from the book of Romans, first chapter, verses 16 through 17. Paul is writing to those in Rome, and he wants to proclaim the message of God. But in those words, he also says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Good morning, church. Nice to see everybody this morning. I wanted to start off with a question today, uh, just to get our minds reflecting on the topic this morning. So here it is. What are you pursuing right now? What are you pursuing right now? And as I ask that question, I, I think most of us probably have a few things that pop into our minds right off the top, right? Because it's, it's sort of the way that we are wired, I think, as human beings. We all have this this drive to pursue things in our lives. And I think it's just kind of how we operate. And after I was reflecting on this a little bit for myself, I think I've concluded that you know, we tend to pursue the things that we value, the things that we value most. I don't know if you found that in your life or not. Um, you know, maybe we really value uh, good health. And so we're pursuing that by pushing ourselves to eat better, to exercise, to rest. Or maybe we really value career. So we're, we're pursuing that by doing things to work hard to try to sharpen our skill set and grow to become more successful at our work. Or maybe we really value family. You know, and so we're trying really hard. We're pushing ourselves and we're trying to find ways to pursue a certain atmosphere in our home or to, or to create a certain culture in our family life. And I think most of us sort of get that, right? We kind of, we kind of understand that on a gut level. When we really value something, we tend to pursue it. It causes us to pursue it more. It's almost automatic. We see the value and we pursue it. And we're talking about the gospel today. And we're in a series right now called What We Believe About the Gospel. We're trying to examine what the Bible has to say about the gospel. And the Bible places an extremely, extremely high value on the gospel. And I, I really want us to appreciate that this morning, appreciate the value of it, because I think if it really sinks in just how valuable the gospel is, it's going to cause us to automatically pursue it, to pursue it with all that we have. It may seem strange to talk about pursuing the gospel, which is the, the title of our lesson today, because you know, we often think about the gospel maybe as something that has been done for us, you know, which it is. But I hope that today we're going to see that we have an opportunity to respond to that good news, to pursue it, you could say. And I want us to see the gospel as more than just an intellectual idea or, or more than just a set of facts to agree with. More importantly, the gospel is also a way of life. It's a way of life that we can pursue. Pursue with everything we have. So before we get too far into that discussion, uh, I just want to briefly talk about, you know, what is the gospel or the good news, which is what it literally means. Uh, I want to talk about what it is because sometimes I think we sort of gloss over the term and we sort of take for granted 
that we're all on the same page. And I really want to dig into this deeply, and we don't have time to do that today, so I'm hoping to pick up this conversation in in a couple of weeks from now and really get our heads around what the Bible says the definition of the gospel is, you know, how Jesus defined it and what he expected of people in terms of responding to it. But for today, we can just get started with something that's a little bit more simple and short based on the groundwork that Jay laid down for us last week. You know, we talked about this last week as humans we have a, a really big problem, right? We have one problem, really, and that's sin. It's our greatest problem. And as you recall, sin is our greatest problem because it separates us from a relationship with God, what we were made for. And so in a nutshell, the gospel, it really is the solution to our greatest problem. Our, uh, our relationship with God can be eternally restored through a life of faith in Christ Jesus. And so we'll kind of go forward with this definition and, and work towards, I think, filling it out more this morning. But I, I hope that it's clear right off the top that the gospel is talking about a life of faith. A life of faith in Christ Jesus is really what encompasses the beauty of the good news, I think. And we see this at the end of our reading this morning. Paul talks about this idea of living by faith. Living by faith. And it causes us to see that faith, as far as the Bible is concerned, is not merely an intellectual belief or an agreement with a set of facts, but rather it's a way of living, you could say. A way of life based on what you know to be true. The good news is that this way of life is available to all of us today. And so this morning, I want to help all of us to see what the true value is in the gospel. I want to set before us three reasons why the gospel is so valuable based on Romans 1, uh, 16 and 17. Because I know that when we understand the value of the gospel, we're going to see that this good news demands a response. And it's not just like a one-time response. It demands a lifetime of pursuit, pursuing the gospel. The gospel is incredibly valuable for at least these three reasons, uh, because it contains power, contains the power of God. It's valuable because it reveals righteousness, the righteousness of God. And third, it's valuable because it promises new life. It creates new life for us. So let's start with how the gospel contains power. Paul says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God. He uses that term. This is such an important idea that maybe we sort of skip over sometimes without fully appreciating it. You know, the gospel is a way, is the way that God has demonstrated his power to save all humanity. It causes us to reflect on the entire story of God's people up until this point. And and we realize that what humanity was unable to do because of their sin, God did with his own power. He saved us. He saved a sinful people by his power. He made it possible for us to have a relationship with him despite our sin by his power. The gospel shows us the power of God because he did something that we could never do. 
For those of us who've been reading through the Old Testament this year, uh, this concept is going to be fresh in our minds right now. You know, we're well into Deuteronomy right now, and at this point, you've probably started to see a, a pattern emerging over and over and over again. You know, over and over, God sets this standard. He sets a standard for His people. And over and over again, we decide that, you know, we want to do something else, or that we know better. And humanity fails to experience the good life that God is trying to give us because we continually decide that we just, you know, we don't like it maybe or we think we can do better or maybe we know a better way. Have you seen this pattern? And so we fall away from God and and all the blessings that come from being in a relationship with Him. It's a serious problem. A serious problem and humanity can't seem to figure out how to solve it. And the story of the Old Testament shows us, I think, so clearly over and over how many times and how many ways God has tried to bring us back to him, but we just couldn't make it work. You know, we might get it right for a little while, but eventually we choose another path. It's a sad story. And I really appreciate the way that the Apostle Paul describes this issue in Romans 7. I don't know if you identify with these words, but they always hit me in the heart. Romans 7, starting in verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin. At work within me. You know, Paul calls it a law, a law that's at work, kind of like the law of gravity or the law of entropy or something. You know, it's, it's something that just exists in our fallen world within ourselves. We know that God's way is good and sometimes we even want to do it. But there's this other law working in the background, a constant tendency within us that is just so prone to wander away from him. In the Old Testament, God laid out an agreement with his people. Sometimes we call it a covenant. It was pretty simple in principle. He created a standard so that, you know, when a group of people would would uphold this standard of life, they would represent his nature to the world around them. It was a way of God revealing himself through humanity. And God blessed, you know, he promised to bless these people who were upholding the standard so that the world would see the benefits of being in a relationship with him, of joining him in this covenant. And the Israelites, obviously they thought that sounded like a pretty good idea, but they couldn't uphold the standard, right? Not even close. They would constantly turn away against against God in their sin. And their, their power, it was not enough to overcome the law of sin at work in their hearts. Their energy, their strength, and their power that, that humans could muster up was not enough to overcome their desire, in the long run at least, to do the things that they wanted to do instead. It's really, again, I've said this a couple times, but it's really a sad story. But it proves beyond a doubt to us that we need something more powerful than ourselves to save us from sin. And that's the beauty of the gospel, brothers and sisters. God's power is on full display. 
The gospel is God's display of his power to overcome our sin problem once and for all. The gospel is the mechanism, you could say, whereby God is drawing us back into a relationship with himself in a permanent way. And where our ways have failed, his ways will work. They will not fail because it no longer depends on the power of human beings, but it depends instead on the power of a holy God. The application for this is so important, I think. Winston Churchill said this. You've probably heard it before. Those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think these words are very applicable to what we're talking about today. You know, we have the privilege of looking back on God's story, the story of humanity through the Bible. And we can see that if we're trying on our own power or on our own strength to overcome the sin problem we have, it's just not going to work. I'm sorry. And we need to learn from that. We will have to fight this, though. We're going to have to fight our pride because our pride wants to earn our own way. I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Our pride wants to rely on ourselves instead of God. We want to trust in ourselves and our goodness more than God and his righteousness for our salvation. But if we fail to learn from history and value the power of God, uh, and if we fail to value the power of God more than our pride, The gospel is not going to be any help to us. God's power to overcome the sin problem is what we need. And we need to put our trust in his power rather than our own to experience the benefits of the good news in our lives. So the second thing I wanted to highlight today is that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Our scripture talks about this in verse 17. Where it says, uh, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. There are some different views on exactly what the reference to God's righteousness means. But it could be referring to God's character that we can see through the gospel. You know, through what he's done. That when he reveals the gospel to us, he's revealing his own, his righteousness. I mean, how righteous he is. It could also mean... And I kind of lean towards this view that the gospel, through the gospel, God has finally revealed the mystery about how he will restore people into a relationship with him. In other words, the way for us to access God's righteousness has been revealed. Right from the fall, we know that God had a plan for making us righteous and restoring our relationship with him he told eve that her offspring would one day crush the head of satan but the details of how that was going to happen were murky it wasn't really fully defined how exactly it was going to happen you know it's kind of like and i think this is kind of like what the gospel is here and what the the revealing of god's righteousness is it's kind of like when you go maybe to a restaurant you know, pretend you're in a restaurant right now, a really good one, like a, a, a very delicious restaurant, and you've never ate there before, and, and you know what, you're looking at the menu, and you've ordered your food, you've made your choice, and you're waiting for it to come out, and you're just thinking about it, right? People are getting hungry now. Uh, you're thinking about what it will look like, what it's going to smell like, what it's going to taste like. 
and you have some sort of vague concept in your mind because you ordered it, you, you sort of know what's coming, but you don't really know all the details yet until finally your server comes out, they're holding your food on a platter, and it has one of those coverings on top, like the silver thing on top, right? And they set it down in front of you, and then they pull off the cover, and they reveal it to you, and finally, you can see it, it's right before your eyes. You can smell it, you can taste it, and you fully understand what it is that you were anticipating. It's been revealed to you, and now you know it fully, and and you can access it fully. I think that's something like what God is doing in revealing His righteousness to us through the gospel. All through the Old Testament, we see hints about this ruler, this coming king, this coming redeemer that would finally open up a new way for God's people to be righteous before him. We knew it was coming, but we were always a little unclear of exactly what God had in mind. But I think what Paul is saying here is that through the gospel, now we finally know It's been revealed, and more than know about it, we finally have access to it. The good news, the gospel, is that we can actually access God's righteousness. It's sitting right there before us in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that we need, that we've always needed to be in a proper relationship with Him. The righteousness that we could never obtain for ourselves because of our sin. That's the righteousness that we can have now through Jesus. Because he's extending his own righteousness to us in him. Brothers and sisters, that is amazing news for us. You know, we touched on this last week with the with scripture we looked at. It says in Romans 3.21 and the first part of 22, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify, there's, this righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. And again, you know, when it comes to this topic of righteousness, I think our biggest stumbling block uh, for a lot of us, at least for me, is going to be our pride in this. Because, you know what, maybe by our own estimation, yeah, we're a pretty good person. You know, we compare ourselves to those around us and we're doing okay. We reason that we've done more good things than bad things in our life and, and we, we kind of think it through and we figure, you know, we've got a pretty good standing with God based on that. You know, we've got a decent track record. And I get it. You know, it feels good to frame it in that way, to think about righteousness in that way as a scale of good and bad. But, I mean, that's just not how it works, is it? It's more comfortable, I get that, to rely on our own goodness, on our own righteousness. But... That's not how it works with God. And I'm not trying to downplay the importance of doing good at all. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't strive to do good because, of course, we need to do that. But I'm just trying to point out that the comparison between between our own righteousness and the righteousness of God that we have access to through Jesus, that's not even worth comparing. They're not even in the same ballpark. And, And worse yet... If we get preoccupied with our own self-righteousness, we're going to miss our desperate need for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God that is available to us in the gospel through Christ. Paul reflected on this 
in in the scriptures at one point. You know, he at, he was recalling sort of his his pedigree and his achievements in his own life. And in Philippians three, starting in verse seven, he he says this about it. You know, after talking about how amazing his life has been and all that he's accomplished, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider it loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Such an important message. Paul had a lot that he could brag about. He had a, he had a lot of cred that he could put his trust in. He had a lot of express, uh, reasons to believe that like he was good and within himself that he had accomplished a lot, that he had done good things. He thought he could have thought that he was special based on the good things that he had done and the knowledge that he had acquired. But when it came to but when he came into contact with the righteousness of Christ, he says that everything that he used to value is now just garbage to him. I mean, can you imagine Paul realized that this attitude of being focused on himself, of be, on relying on his own achievements, was actually working against him. Because it was causing him to put trust in himself, to find righteousness in himself, when he really needed God's righteousness. And I want to suggest that the same danger is out there for us today. If we really believe that we can earn our own righteousness and, and we believe that we can be good enough to be accepted by God on our own good behavior, the sad result is that we're going to end up trusting ourselves rather than God for salvation. But if we humble ourselves and accept the righteousness that God wants to grant us through Jesus, I mean, it might seem like a paradox, but in, in doing that, we'll actually begin to see the value in the gospel. We'll begin to see how everything else is just so much less important and we'll act, we'll automatically begin pursuing His righteousness through Christ. Not only for ourselves, but this is the beauty and it will do it for other people too. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's an absolute gem that we must treasure and we must value and pursue with our whole lives. And so the last thing I want to highlight about the gospel is, is the promise of a new life or, or the way that it creates a new life within us. We see this at the end of verse 17, uh, where Paul is pointing out that uh, the righteous will live by faith, that those who believe in the good news will begin living a life of faith because of it. The whole concept of a life of faith I, I know that might seem a little bit strange because the way that we sometimes use the word faith in our culture today isn't a whole lot different than the way we use the word believe. You know, somebody can say, I believe God exists. Or they could say, I have faith in God. And, and sometimes, you know, they're pretty much used interchangeably. But I want to suggest to you that faith has a much fuller meaning in the Bible. It means much more than just accepting that something is true. It has to do with putting your trust 
in something. In putting your trust in what you know to be true. It has to do with acting in confidence based on what you firmly believe. It has to do with demonstrating your loyalty or your commitment to something or to someone. I'll try to illustrate it. Uh, Pretend for a minute that you're sick and your doctor tells you that, you know, she won't uh, or she, you know, she doesn't um, that if she doesn't treat you, you know, if she doesn't treat you right away, you're going to die very soon. It's bad news. Your, your life is just totally upended in this because you weren't expecting it and obviously it's devastating. But then she tells you, no, you know, there is some good news because uh, there's just been a, a medicine that came out and if you take it, your disease will be cured in like a, a matter of weeks. And she even shows you the studies on it. She, she hands them to you and shows, shows you that there's been studies to, to, uh, done to prove that the medicine works. Now, Here's the thing. You might be able to review the studies with her and, and agree with your doctor that what she said was true, but, but that won't really save your life, will it? You know, you might be uh, able to agree that the medicine sounds amazing, but that's not really going to save your life either. Your faith in the medicine doesn't really become faith until you go to the drugstore and fill that prescription and start taking it. You demonstrate your faith in the medicine to save you when you begin to act on what you believe. When you act with confidence, when you begin to live a new way of life based on what you believe, that's putting your faith in whatever you're putting your faith in. Now, I know that's not a perfect metaphor, and there's probably holes in it, but I want to suggest that biblical faith has a meaning that is very similar to that. Uh, Check out the way that the Apostle Paul uses the term in Galatians 2. Verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I think this is so important to understand, this concept of a new life. A new life of faith that comes when someone grasps the value of the gospel. Unfortunately, though, sometimes the gospel, I think it it gets watered down, sort of. The way we talk about it. It gets watered down until it almost resembles like a hell insurance policy or something. You know, we talk about putting your faith in Jesus like like somehow it's the equivalent to saying a little prayer or getting dunked in the water. And then we tell the poor person, you know, there you go. You showed your faith and now you're insured against going to hell when you die. I get kind of uh, passionate about this, I guess. Because what a sad distortion of the gospel that is. When we fail to point out anything about the old way of life that Jesus is trying to free us from. Where is, the, where is the, the new life in that? That's not the gospel. There's no life-changing effect in, in that message. There's no restored relationship with God in that message. There's no freedom from sin, really, in that message. Nothing changes. There's no substance in that message either. I mean, there's no new purpose for your life. The gospel is more than just a hell insurance policy. 
we have to appreciate the gospel for what it really is. It's a chance to finally break free from our slavery to sin and live in a new, restored, and eternal relationship with God. The Bible words it so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5. And starting in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Amen. The gospel has created a new way of life for us to step into. A life of walking in step with Jesus and his spirit. Trusting him. Following him. Obeying his commands. And that's not meant to sound like a burden. It really, truly is a blessing to follow him and obey him. Because that's the new life that we need. That's the life that we've always needed. It's a new life that finally, truly leads us away from the power of sin. Abraham is often called the father of faith. And his example shows us that faith, it was really a lifestyle for him. This, this concept we're talking about, about a life of faith. To him, faith was not merely believing in some facts about God, but rather it was acting with confidence based on what he knew to be true. See what it says about him here in, in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 8. It says, by faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Me too. Abraham's faith caused him To do some things. He obeyed and went. It caused him to move to a foreign country and live in tents. It caused him to look forward to a promise that God had made him. For Abraham, his faith was more than just an intellectual idea. It was more than just believing something that God said to him. His faith in the good news that God had for his life caused him to go in a direction, to take action, to embrace that new life. He had confidence that as he stepped towards God, that God would deliver. And brothers and sisters, it's the same thing for us today. God is promising us a new life in the gospel. And that new life begins right now. That hold that sin has always had on your life, it can be loosened right now through the power of the gospel. The peace of being in an eternal relationship with God is available starting right now through the beauty of the gospel. We don't have to wait for heaven to experience the new life that God has for us. Yes, we are going to be plagued with sin and yes, there's going to be problems while we're still here on this earth. But we don't have to wait for heaven to experience the good news. That's not really the gospel message if you look at it closely. The good news is that you can begin to enjoy a restored relationship with God right now. And it will last for eternity. You can begin to experience this new life with Him right now. And it begins when we decide 
to follow Jesus by living out our faith in him. If we look back uh, at the history of the church, we can see that when this good news got out to the world, it started spreading around like wildfire everywhere. People started believing it. They started responding to it. People everywhere wanted to pursue this good news for themselves. And the example that we have from the Bible is that when people were ready to begin this pursuit, they did so by uniting themselves with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Baptism, if you like, is a way of drawing a line in the sand and saying, from this day forward, I am going to pursue the gospel, to pursue and experience this new life that God has offered me. I will join myself to Christ. I want to begin this new life, this life that's filled with His power and His righteousness and a restored relationship with God. That's a relationship that's going to last for eternity. If you're ready to start this new life today, if you're ready to draw your line in the sand and give your life to Jesus by getting baptized, by repenting of your old ways, by living a new life with him, if you're ready to do that, don't wait. There's nothing to wait for. Please come and talk to me today. Or maybe you started that journey a while ago and you're realizing today that you're not really pursuing the gospel with your whole life. If you want to talk to someone about that, please reach out to me today as well. We're going to end off with a song called Higher Ground. It's a song about pursuing a higher and a better path in life. The second verse of the song really stood out to me, and you'll probably see why as we as we sing it. I guess I can read the lyrics. It says, My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground.